0: About this week. So first to kick us off with some sad news, the NFL says goodbye to Hall of Famer Dick Butkus. He was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears in the 60s and 70s. He had his career start in the late 60s, I believe 1967, and he played for a little bit under a decade and he was one of the all-time greats. He was on the All-60s team, the All-70s team, and his career peaked in 1968 when he just had an incredible run, and he said that the favorite play he ever had in his career was when he caught a conversion after a botch snapped on an extra point in what turned out to be the victory in a 16-15 win over the Washington Redskins at the time. And that was an insane season for him. He made 117 tackles over a two-year period where he was injured, 68 assists, recovered three fumbles, and intercepted four passes. He played in probably the most rough-and-tumble era in NFL history. You know, people talk about how today the game's gotten softer, roughing the passer, all that stuff, targeting and they talk about how the game should go back to how it was in the 80's. Well, if you were playing in the 80's, Dick Buckus probably would have thought you were soft because the stories of what the NFL was like back in the 1960's and the 1970's are like hearing stories from the wild west compared to what it is we see during the games today. I think Jim Brown told the story one time of a guy who reached his fingers into somebody's helmet and got his finger partially bit off because uh, he was invading that player's personal privacy and there wasn't even a foul called because they said that the player had the right to protect the inside of his helmet. So to be a Hall of Famer in that era in particular really just says a lot about your intestinal fortitude, your guts, your strength, And just what an all-around amazing athlete you had to have been. So, Dick Buskis had a legendary career, legendary life, and he will be missed. So, getting into the current events in sports, we got to start it off by talking about the Braves, who unfortunately lost their first game of the MLB playoffs against the Philadelphia Phillies yesterday. Despite that, I'm still optimistic. We're still repping Atlanta even though a lot of people in the sports world are giving a lot of flack to Atlanta fans. So there was a really controversial call in the eighth inning of the game last night where catcher Sean Murphy got called for offensive interference because his glove was a little overextended and batter JT Romuto hit the glove while he was swinging. And that led to an extra base. They gave pretty much they treated it like a walk. And so he got to walk to first base. The bases were loaded. So that brought in the third run. Now it wasn't a game changing thing because the Braves are already down two to nothing at the time. So it didn't cause the Braves to lose. But I think just the frustration of the moment, in addition to the fact that the replay made it really unclear if the call was warranted. I think that it was. I think they did make the right call, but there was no conclusive proof in the replay. So I'm sure if you're a Braves fan, you're there in real time. You're probably really angry, in addition to the fact you're also probably under the influence of some strong drink, shall we say. I can get where the anger comes from, but the Braves fans started throwing trash onto the field. And a lot of the commentators were talking about how embarrassing and disrespectful it was. And Brian Snicker said after the game that he hates to see when that happens, that it's a threat to the player's safety and all this and that and how there's no place for that in the game. So where I come down on this is that they should not have done it is wrong especially when you're throwing like water bottles and cans and stuff like that like that really could hurt somebody but at the same time whenever they talk about how it's like a travesty and it's an embarrassment and they ought to be ashamed it's i think the rhetoric around it is a little overblown reaction to some drunk people just chucking some water bottles now if they're intentionally trying to hurt The players then that is one thing but from what I saw at least most of the trash they were throwing onto the field was in a part of the field where no players were and there wasn't there was maybe like six or seven cans that I saw so I mean is it cool no is it a national embarrassment that reflects upon the poor state of fan reactions in the Major League Baseball or any sport I don't think so I mean I think it just shows what happens when a bunch of fans get into a drink game and get a little bit too drunk I don't think it's as big a deal as the announcers make it out to be they always get the solemn voice like they're <laughs> announcing some type of candlelight vigil and kind of just overblow it from what really is just a minor nuisance I mean just clean up the trash, let the game continue. It's not a national embarrassment. It's just a mild embarrassment. But as far as the game itself, the story for me at least was just the Braves' lack of offense. And I know it's a running joke in Georgia sports that they always choke in the postseason. And you know, the Georgia's won bat to bat national championships now. The Braves won a World Series two years ago so it seems like we were starting to put that behind us but one could make the case that the old demons are rearing their ugly head because the Braves after a historic offensive season where they have multiple players break offensive records for the Braves which to their benefit the Braves are a top 10 franchise in MLB history like historically They're really good, so to set an offensive record for the Braves, that's a pretty high achievement. And after all of that record-setting this season, their best players couldn't hit a ball to save their life. Ronald Acuna is 0 for 15 in his last playoff at bats. Last night he was 0 for 3. He had one strikeout and one walk. And it's just not going to cut it. I don't know what it is about the playoffs that seemingly has him shook up. I mean, he was an MVP-level player during the regular season. For him to be 0 of 15 in his last playoff performances, that's not good. He's supposed to be the franchise player. You need him when the spotlight gets the brightest. And that was pretty much what the narrative was on Twitter. People were posting memes, and somebody said that they did um, Acuna on that meme of Homer Simpson where he just kind of retracts into the bushes, and it said uh, Braves during the postseason. Somebody did it said uh, the Braves right now, and they put an X-ray of a person with the heart edited out, saying that the Braves have no heart. So it was getting pretty brutal. I think what Snit needs to do is just sit down and talk to him, see like what it is that's gotten them so shooken up. because Baseball is a mental sport. That's one of the and every sport is mental to varying degrees but baseball of all the major team sports is the one where a mental hang-up can affect your play the most just because all it takes in baseball is to get off a half an inch whether it be swinging, pitching, just regular throwing in the field like if you're half-inch behind it changes your whole game completely so whether or not Acuna does suffer from postseason jitters or choking if you want to go that far or maybe it's just a coincidence but all the noise around his poor postseason play might if he didn't already have jitters it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where people say that he has them which gives them to him the more he goes without getting a hit the more it kind of builds up in his head like oh maybe I am bad in the postseason or maybe I am a choker like you just gotta have somebody sit down to him whether it needs to be the manager maybe Colin in Shipper Jones or some other past Braves legend who can give him some wise words of advice but you just gotta talk him through it and say look man it's the playoffs it's a big stage it's a lights are the brightest but you're one of the best players in the world right now and it's on this stage where you get to prove what you're really made of and so I mean do it with Acuna Matt Olson like all the big Braves hitters that didn't show up last night I think that's the reaction I would have I mean hopefully it helps I mean Braves also last night speaking of their hitters not being able to get any hits They were 0-5 with runners in scoring position. Now, when people talk about clutchness in sports, they typically think about it in the last couple minutes of the ballgame. How, you know, clutchness is a walk-off home run or Michael Jordan hitting the game-winner against Utah in 98. But I think Isaiah Thomas said it best when he was complimenting Reggie Miller once. He said that Reggie Miller was clutch in that he could get a basket when you were down five and you needed to get a point just to stay competitive. And it's the same way in baseball where sometimes being clutch isn't hitting a walk off home run. It's hitting somebody in to get an RBI when you're down two in the fourth inning and you need a run just to stay in the ball game. And last night that's the kind of clutchness that the Braves were lacking. For you to be 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, that's just unacceptable for a postseason team with high expectations. I think that's where the ball games are won and lost. It's kind of like in football; sometimes penalties can win or lose a game, and you can go amazing from as far as passing yards, rushing yards, whatever. But if you get a bunch of penalties, then it doesn't matter. It's, we'll get to that later with Texas, but. In baseball you can get an insane amount of hits but if you leave them all on base it's all for nothing and it's being able to convert on those positions when you do have runners in scoring position that really sends you home and that's what separates a World Series contender from a choke artist and I think that's what the Braves need to work on when they have somebody on second or third base they really need whoever's at bat needs to double down Find it within themselves to pull one out of the hat and just let it rip, and not think too hard about it. So that's the biggest adjustment I think the Braves need to make going into tomorrow. Is just trying to settle the nerves of their top players and focusing on converting those scoring position. Whenever you get that opportunity to drive somebody in, you got to drive them in. Now another concern. And this is really the only other concern I can think of that they have. It's just Bryce Harper in general. Against the Braves in the postseason between the last two years, he's 10 of 18. He's batting 556 with three home runs, six extra base hits, and seven RBIs. So basically, Bryce Harper is just cooking the Braves lunch in the playoffs between yesterday and last year's postseason. So... They need to figure out the Bryce Harper problem. Whether it's walking him or throwing him uh, balls a little close to his position in the batter's box. I don't know what it is they need to do, but they'd better do something. If I, if I were them, honestly, I would love to see it. What would happen if they just wouldn't let Harper hit and just walked him every time up? Because I think that, like I was saying earlier, how baseball is a mental game, the psychological aspect of that would be very interesting to see how the Phillies would recover. Because that's their best player, and to pretty much take him out of the ball game, for all intents and purposes, I mean, he's not renowned as a base dealer. I mean, obviously you wouldn't do it if you had like, bases loaded or anything, but... If you just walked Bryce Harper every time and just made the rest of the team beat you and drive in runs, I would, I would not be mad if the Braves did that. Or if they just, you know, threw him a little uh balls his way just to see if he's paying attention, that wouldn't be bad either. I know the MOB's tried to crack down on that, but that's just a part of the old school way of sports that I think still has a place in the game to some it's thin, as long as they're not actually trying to hurt somebody I don't you shouldn't be throwing at some other player's head but if you want to put them one on the keister then I think go for it. Now that is another thing too about the fans throwing trash on the field that it made me think of just how a major it's not really a complaint but one difference from sports today, Versus sports, even if you go back 20 years is just how sanitized it all feels Which to me takes away from part of what makes sports fun. It takes away from the grittiness the grime the grind of Just high intensity sports situations where the balls are just so clean the TV it's on 4k like there are ticky-tack fouls the court every especially if you're watching basketball there's somebody to wax the court every time pretty much the balls on the other end of the field baseball the grass is always so perfectly cut it just makes it feel inauthentic to me in a way that if you go back to like I don't know uh the 90s for example where it just seems like anything could happen you know like basketball players were getting into scuffles they were fans through trash in pretty much every sport I mean players seem more unfiltered in press conferences and things of that nature the product wasn't so uh, spectacularly presented which don't get me wrong it's nice to have great camera quality when you're watching a broadcast but there's still something to be said about just how rough and tumble it felt versus now when you have these multi-billion dollar companies that are putting it together and I think that's the biggest difference in that 20 30 years ago and this is I think when the transition started to happen it felt more like a game where now it feels more like a business like obviously what it is always a business whenever you're making a living doing something it's a business but just the general vibe of it it felt like something you would see anywhere with uh, just better athletes like if you're on prime time nfl football in the 80s yeah, obviously the field's cut but it's not so immaculate that it feels like it's on uh, most of its astroturf now like it looks like a really nice mowed grass whereas now it just seems so like just a multi-billion dollar operation so i think the conversation with the fans throwing trash is just another part of the sterilization of modern sports i guess that i would push back against to a small extent like i said you don't want them throwing trash at players or throwing objects that could hurt them but to just sum it up, I guess, sports just feel fake and inauthentic and sterile these days, and less lively, and have less character than they used to. Now, the Braves were not the only one seed to have some woes, because the Orioles also lost last night. They were down 3-2 to to the Rangers, and the Astros beat the Twins one to nothing. so... That just closes us out with the biggest upset of the weekend as far as baseball is concerned was the Dodgers who got absolutely destroyed by the Diamondback 11-2. And Clayton Kershaw had the worst performance of his career. He became the third pitcher in playoff history, which in baseball is saying a lot for a sport that's been around for over 120 years to give up six runs or more with only one out. So just a brutal, brutal look for Clayton Kershaw. He's had retirement rumors circulating around him all season, and this is not going to do anything to dispel those. I mean, people these days are quick to say somebody's washed or to throw in the towel the second things look bad. So, I don't think he'll retire. I mean, is he kind of getting there as far as age? Yeah, but he still could be decent for a couple more years. And I think the Dodgers will, I'm trying to think of how to word it. I think they'll be a lot more competitive this upcoming game. But, at the same time, I'm not sure if, I I think this next game will determine who wins the series. I'll just say that. The Dodgers will either be broken from being beaten 11-2 to or they'll come back with a vengeance. I think they'll come back with a vengeance. I just couldn't see them getting upset in the first round after how good of a season they had. It's not just that they're the two seed. It's that they were clearly far and away the second best team in the East and nobody or in the National League and nobody was even close. So I think they'll bounce back. I think the Braves will bounce back. But I think these next two games are crucial for both of them to determine if they'll be able to make a comeback or not. So that's my take on the MLB right now. Now moving on to wrestling, Edge, a.k.a. Adam Copeland, has signed with AEW and made his AEW debut just the other day. Last weekend at Wrestle Dream, he made an appearance to save Sting and Darby Allen from a beatdown from Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne, and the pop he got was just insane. Now this is the first time Edge has appeared outside of a WWE promotion outside of WWE since 1998. So just to put that in perspective. This is the first time Edge is wrestling for a non-WWE company, since most of the people listening to this podcast have been alive. So, just from that alone, it's really groundbreaking to see. It's probably, to date, the biggest name that AEW has been able to wrestle away, no pun intended, from WWE. he was, Edge is a bigger star than CM Punk was. CM Punk was only a bigger get for AEW because of all the drama that surrounded his WWE exit. Now, it looks like they're bringing him in as a babyface, which is probably the right move because Edge, he's going to be cheered, especially the first time he makes an appearance. But I was kind of thinking that they might turn him heel and have him team up with Christian one last time. But it's looking like instead he'll be feuding with christian he made an appearance on dynamite just this week and they had a little uh interaction that didn't go so well for christian so it'll be interesting to see where this story goes going forward it was cool seeing edge and sting in the ring together that's never happened before so there's a lot of one-off opportunities that could be presented from edge being in aew and it'll be a nice change of pace for him getting outside of the hyper scripted wwe environment having more creative freedom in aew now it's looking like he'll be a collision guy instead of a dynamite guy which makes sense because for those of you who don't know it's kind of like how wwe has raw and smackdown and they're kind of separate brands AEW has Dynamite and Collision. Now, Collision was originally created to be the CM Punk show to keep him separate from the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and the rest of the Elite, and Dynamite would be the Elite show. Now, as CM Punk aspired, Collision was kind of lacking a major name to build the show around, and this is where Edge comes in. I think, like I just said, he's a bigger star than CM Punk in wrestling, so not only... Has losing CM Punk that vacuum been replaced? It's in a way been improved upon because of who they replaced Punk with. Now, had Punk not gotten in a backstage fight again, they could have had him and Edge, which would have been amazing. But you got to play the hand you're dealt, and CM Punk was fired. And Edge is here to hopefully recover a little bit of the luster that was lost when he left. Now as for CM Punk, he made an appearance at a wrestling show a week back and he said that he will have a lot of free time on his hands for the next two months and that's got the rumor mill circulating that he might be at Survivor Series, which is in Chicago, and there's been some talk that WWE hasn't reached out to him yet, but they have been having internal discussions on whether they will and a lot of the talent seems to be not happy with that they've said that if CM Punk does come back he'll have a lot of apologies that he'll have to make including to some pretty big names like Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins so I think at the end of the day Vince McMahon will do what Vince McMahon always does and do what he thinks will make him the most money and to me that would be bringing back cm punk now i don't know what his status is especially with aew uh i'm sure he has some kind of non non-com- non-compete clause and with him being fired he might also have legal action that might be launched in that whole situation so whether or not that's something WWE wants to get involved with I think that they will definitely I think CM Punk will have wrestled a match for WWE by this time next year will he be there for Survivor Series I don't think so if I'm WWE I'm putting CM Punk in the Royal Rumble and I'm just making that a magical moment now a lot of people in the bat might be unhappy with that, but they've got to realize that despite all the stuff CM Punk has said about WWE and how badly he thinks of the company, at the end of the day it is a business, and CM Punk's a huge name, that they're not going to put somebody over him just because they've been loyal to the company and CM Punk's walked out. And done horrible things for the company in the past and business makes friends of even the bitterest enemies and that's no different in the WWE and CM Punk situation CM Punk will want to go to WWE as much as he hates their guts because right now he hates AEW even more for firing him and for causing him all this chaos in the first place in his mind WWE would love to get W or CM Punk just to stick it to AEW and show them that they can control him, whereas AEW could not. So it makes sense on both sides from a strategic standpoint. It will just be a matter of when it can all come together versus whether it will. But that's something to be on the lookout for. As for WWE, they had Fast Lane last night. And it wasn't a really eventful show, but it is worth noting that Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso are now the tag team champions after beating The Judgment Day and John Cena and LA Knight beat The Bloodline. Now after the show, Triple H was asked in their press conference about Edge leaving for AEW, and he pretty much just said that they didn't have much for Edge to do, and that it made more sense for him to leave, and that he couldn't fault Edge for doing what was best for him, and that it was just time for them to part ways, so I think Triple H handled that response very maturely. Conversely, John Cena was asked about the Hollywood screen actor strike, and whether that would impact his ability to be with WWE going forward and he pretty much said yeah the strike he said that as soon as it's over he has uh, bookings that he has to carry through he's got movies that were in the middle of being filmed when the strike took place and that he will have to honor those commitments so it seems like John Cena's WWE run will wrap up in a month or so unless the strike just continues past that which from how the tops have been going online it seems like it should be about to wrap up soon so enjoy John Cena and WWE while you can because he will be making it back to Hollywood sooner rather than later now college football had one interesting game this week which that was the red river rivalry oklahoma versus texas and as i was saying earlier in regards to the braves losing just because they got a lot of hits and not a lot of runs texas beat oklahoma in total yards 572 to 486 passing yards 371 To two eighty-five, had almost a hundred more passing yards than Oklahoma. They were they had fifty less rushing yards, but on the whole, they pretty much they got more yards. They got a lot more passing yards and averaged more yards per play. But they had nine penalties and lost seventy yards off those penalties. They had two interceptions and they had one fumble. So I mean that's just the story right there to me, just clear as day, is penalties and being loose with the ball is not a good recipe to win the football game. Now it was still a close game. It was thirty four to thirty. So I mean, if you give Texas let's say they Oklahoma had lost thirty yards from penalties. So let's say you give Texas forty yards if they have played as good as Oklahoma did in the penalty game, I think they win that ball game. And I think they're still number three in the AP poll. But as it stands, they dropped all the way down to That's six places they dropped. And Oklahoma shot all the way up to fifth, which was seven spots. And they look like they might be able to break into the top four. Now, the top four currently is Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Florida State. I think Georgia and Michigan are pretty much just going to ride it out as one and two. Texas and Oklahoma was the biggest shakeup that really matters. Alabama beat Texas A&M in a game that was pretty rough to start, got really good, and then got kind of rough towards the end. But they ended up pulling it out by about a touchdown. But despite that, they didn't go anywhere. They stayed at 11. Louisville shot up 11 points after beating Notre Dame. And Notre Dame dropped 11 spots on the pole. So that's kind of the biggest story going in college football right now is... Texas being essentially put out of playoff contention by Oklahoma. I mean, they could crawl back later on in the season, but I don't know. They're all the way down at ninth after being up that high. It would take some big losses for them to get back into it, I think. So it'll be something to see, that's for sure. Georgia, they've pretty much... I think it's their season to lose. And you know, I don't see them doing it. They absolutely destroyed Kentucky 51-13. to They've got Vanderbilt and Florida coming up, two teams that I don't think will give them a whole lot of grief. If Georgia's going to lose, it's going to be to Mississippi or Tennessee. And... I don't see it. I think Georgia's gonna go undefeated for a second year in a row and I think they're gonna be like the first P of the modern era. So there you go. Maybe at the very least for Georgia fans if the Braves choke, Georgia can give them something to hang their hat on. Now for the NBA whose season kicks up in about three weeks. Their first game's October 24th. It's been kind of a slower week following the massive announcement of the Damian Lillard trade last week. Jimmy Butler seemed pretty upset about it because he showed up emo on media day. And I don't know what was going on in his mind when he thought that was a good look, but he quickly backtracked from it. And... He was back to headband Jimmy just a day later. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Butler, he's just one of those guys that he just doesn't care. <laughs> you can just tell based on how he carries himself, he's going to do what he's going to do. And it doesn't really matter what you think. So more power to him for that. But his emo look was w- weird to put it lightly. He... Went with the fake piercings, he had his fingernails painted black, he had his hair in his face. He was looking like it was 2003 out there. But Vegas has put out who it thinks are the top contenders going into the season. And from the Vegas odds, the only serious title contenders, which I'm considering anybody whose odds are plus less than a 1,000, are the Bucks and the Celtics and the Nuggets and the Suns. Now, I agree those are the big four, but I'm really confused why the Celtics are over the Nuggets and the Suns because I just don't see how they would be able to be justifiably above the defending champions or a team that has Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, so maybe I'm missing something about the Celtics, but I don't see them being the second favorite to win the championship. I would probably go Bucks, Nuggets, Suns, Celtics, but that's just semantics. Now speaking of the Suns, they might have a setback this year because the NBA has announced that the rip through will be a no call this season for those of you who don't know and if you're watching this on the stream i will try my best to act it out for you but the rip through is basically when you take the ball and you just quickly move it through the other player in order to get a call on them for a reach-in foul and basically it's just free points because it's usually the guards that are handling the ball that do that And they're automatic from the line. And it's been abused by players such as Kevin Durant or James Harden to the point where the NBA has had to tell the referees that, look, don't call that a foul anymore. Now, I think that's a step in the right direction because, like I was saying earlier about how sterile the game has gotten, is those little ticky-tack fouls in the NBA, it's just pathetic to watch a bunch of like six, seven 250-pound just like jacked guys get foul calls for the smallest little bit of contact, and it's just good to see the NBA trying to do what they can to combat it. It's the same thing with shooters when they'll jump up and they'll kick their leg into the defender and they'll call the foul on the defender, so... Hopefully, this implementation will change the rule. You know, sometimes the NBA says it's going to do something and it never actually does. Like flopping, for example. You might not know it, but flopping has been against the NBA rules for about 10 years now. They just never enforce it. So, hopefully, they'll enforce this rule. And it can tighten the game up a little bit. But we'll have to see how that plays out. I think it is good, though. The only real talking point heading into the season right now is James Harden. Just because people have no idea what's going on with James Harden. He's didn't go to Media Day. He still is a member of the 76ers roster even though all he has done is hate on his team and his general manager over the last month or two. So, the Rockets, or not the Rockets, the um, 76ers need to figure out what it is that they're going to do with him before the season starts, I would say, just so they can start with a fresh, fresh slate. And... Get it going early and not have that drama hanging over their head. Now, from what I've seen, the Rockets, like I was saying last week, are predicted to be the major players for him. But it's looking like the Clippers could emerge as a viable contender too. Now, I have no idea who they would give up to get him. Because they've currently got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook as a, I couldn't really call it a big three, but they're the three best players on the team. I say that I couldn't call it a big three just because as it stands, I don't really think highly of Russell Westbrook or Paul George as NBA players anymore. I think that they're, Russell Westbrook is definitely past his prime and Paul George Are or is getting up there as well. He's not the player he used to be, Uh, and he's still averaging like mid 20s a game, but he's not Pacers, Paul George. That is for sure. And to me, whenever I think of a big three, like if I say, Oh, there's a big three, it's not just the best three players on a team, because if that's the case, then I mean, every team has a big three. But when I mean big three like Capital B, Capital T That's a big three that I think Will be playoff contenders or, or make their team the favorites To win the championship So like LeBron, Bosch and Wade Or who else? Bird, McHale, and Parrish Like Magic, Kareem, and Worthy Those are big threes Kawhi, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George Are three big names But they're not a big three in the same context As those other three But to me, a James Harden deal to the Clippers would have to entail Russell Westbrook or Paul George. Now, as far as a fit goes, I think James Harden for Paul George would make the most sense just because it's a shooting guard for a shooting guard swap, and they kind of have very similar skills except for the fact that James Harden's better at passing and shooting and basically everything over Paul George at least he used to be James Harden is also on the tail end of his career so I just think that a big three if I whatever you want to call it of Westbrook Harden and Kawhi is a lot more interesting and has a lot more potential than a big three of Westbrook Kawhi and Paul George just because Westbrook, even though he is the point guard, he's also one of the biggest turnover machines in the NBA. So if you got James Harden, then you could very easily make Harden your main facilitator because he is a great passer, and you could let Westbrook be pretty much a cutter and a rebounder in addition to Kawhi. So I just think that they mesh better. But we'll see how that pans out and what the NBA has in store. You know, basketball is my favorite sport, so I'm always excited to see the NBA start back up. It's just, it's a shame that the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL can't all happen at the same time because there's always that brief, like, week period where they do have, they do all three overlap. But for the most part, baseball, wanes as basketball is waxing and that's just the way it goes but there's a lot of mlb playoff action going on this week so keep posted on the instagrams because i will try to stay as on top of that as i possibly can make sure to go like share and subscribe Uh, watch this video go check out some past live streams and we'll see you next time y'all have a good day